0: In our last session, we looked at biblical brokenness. We likened it to the unified relationship that exists between a racehorse and its rider, or a racehorse and its jockey. The horse has been broken, and he has been taken and tamed and trained so that he follows the leading and the instructions of his rider. His self-will is broken and now there's this great power that is controlled and focused and they work together and the horse moves at the will of his master. They love each other. They love what they're doing and they are unified. I think that's a picture of biblical brokenness. Um, The broken Christian has died to self-will and he responds to the will of his master, the Lord God. A broken Christian is filled and uplifted and sustained and comforted by God himself. Brokenness brings blessedness. And so the broken Christian is not trying to control and manage and and live life on his own terms. Revival comes when God's spirit is released in the, through the life of a broken Christian. It is released and it is focused through those broken lives, those lives that have become yielded to him, those lives that are responsive to his nudges, the leadership to his word. Meekness is closely related to brokenness. Numbers chapter 12 and verse three says that Moses was very meek more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And we know that Moses was a friend of God. Uh, Exodus chapter 33 verse 11 tells us that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Moses was a meek man. He was a humble man, and Moses and God Almighty spoke intimately together. They were familiar with one another. Psalm 22 and verse 26 says that the meek shall eat and be satisfied. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And speaking of himself, Jesus said, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. The meek spirit is one that accepts the father's dealings as good uh, without any disputing him or resisting him. It is a heart that does not fight against God or struggle and contend with God so that there is a war between self-will and God's will. It is the opposite of self-interest. It is the opposite of self-assertiveness. Jesus always bowed to the Father, always bowed to the Father. His heart was solely to do the Father's will. So what did he say about himself? I am meek. He was bowed to the Father. When we humble ourselves before God, we bow the knee before him. We offer him our lives. We offer him our wills. A broken, meek, humble spirit will bow before the Lord. Meekness is not weakness. If you're taking notes, write that down. Meekness is not weakness. It is operating under the power of Almighty God. A racehorse is meek in that he does what his rider tells him to do. He is not weak. He is submissive to the will of of the one controlling him. He is submissive to his master. That's what happens with us in God. We begin to operate under the power of Almighty God when we become meek, when we become a broken Christian. And when we get to this place of brokenness and meekness before the Lord, then we are ready to learn and embrace the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. And that's what we're going to talk about today for a few minutes. What is the fear of the Lord? In our language, we usually associate the word fear with being afraid. Um, The fear of the Lord is not about the terror of the Lord, and it's not about being afraid of the Lord. Psalm 25 and verse 14 says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He will show them His covenant. So friendship with God and fear of the Lord go together. They interface, they're partners. Now we've already mentioned Moses and that he and God spoke intimately with one another as friends. So Moses feared the Lord, but he wasn't afraid of the Lord. There are two different words, two different responses, two different, I guess, emotional attitudes. Abraham was called a friend of God, the friend of God. So he was a God-fearer, but he wasn't afraid of God. And so we, we, we just don't think of being either Abraham or Moses who were friends of God, who feared the Lord. We don't think of them as being afraid of him. Um, if I'm afraid of something, I want to get away from it. I was thinking of things that sometimes people are afraid of. Uh, snakes and spiders and mean people and heights and darkness and all of those things that we're afraid of, what do we want to do? We want to back off from them. We want to get away from them. They make us want to run, to get away and hide. The fear of the Lord is not like that. What is the fear of the Lord? It allows intimate friendship with God. So that means we want to be close to Him in the fear of the Lord. We want to be drawn to him. We want to be in partnership with him. There are a number of scriptures that say the fear of the Lord is. And I want to read some of those to you now. The fear of the Lord is. So scripture defines the fear of the Lord for us. The first one is Job chapter 28 and verse 28. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That word beginning literally means the primary thing. The fear of the Lord is primary to wisdom. It's the first thing you have if you're going to be a wise person. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 27 says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 33, 15:33, The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom and before honor comes humility. But there are two main concepts from the scriptures that tell us what the fear of the Lord is. The first one is in Proverbs chapter eight and verse 13. It simply says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, or we could say the fear of the Lord is to hate sin. The second one is to stand in awe of God, to stand in awe of the Lord. Psalm 33 and verse 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 5. God says, My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he feared me and stood in awe of my name. So to fear the Lord is to stand in awe of him, and it is to hate sin. Those two things, when you think of the fear of the Lord, think those two things to hate sin to hate evil, and to stand in awe of him. Now, if I stand in awe of him, I'm drawn to him. Um, I'm taken with him. I'm mesmerized by him. Uh, I can't take my eyes off of him. I'm not afraid so that I want to run away from him. I want to know him more. I'm intrigued with him. He's got me. I'm involved with him, and I want to be there. Think about standing in awe of a sunrise or a sunset. You're taken with it, you don't want it to be over with, and so you're glued to it. That's what it is to stand in awe of God. And so like Moses, we wanna see his glory. There was Moses who was a friend of God, intimate friend of God, and Moses just was glued to him. He had his eyes on him, and they had an intimate friendship. Scripture says they talked face to face, which means they talked intimately, familiarly. How you say that word? They were very familiar with one another. And so when we do that, you know, we don't want that sunrise to go away. We don't, we want to look at it a while longer. And that's what it is to stand in awe of God. We're stunned by his magnificence. We are uh, stunned by his supreme authority and his splendor and his holiness and his power. And we're just blown away by looking at him, by who he is, by what we see in him. Jeremiah chapter five, verse 22, uh, God spoke to his people through the prophet Jeremiah. And here's what God said. Do you not fear me? Do you not tremble at my presence? Now we're living in a day when you don't see a lot of that. When you don't see a lot of people trembling in God's presence. We've become very casual in God's presence. Um, we've become to where we think more about how it makes me feel than to stand in awe of God and realize who I really am before Him. There are lots of scriptures that describe the behavior of those who fear the Lord. Um, how does a God-fearer implement his fear of God in his or her own life. What do I do? How does that show up in me? How does the fear of the Lord show up in my practical everyday righteousness? If I'm going to be a God fearer, what are you going to see in me? Now, there were lots of scriptures about that. What I did was I took the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance and I went through every reference to the fear of God. And I made lists. I made lists of what, It says it is. I made a list of how it says it shows up, how it showed up in the lives of people all the way through scripture. I made a list of the promises that go with it. And so when I got to this list of of how does it show up uh, in people's lives, there were tons of them. So what I did was I I wrote them all down and then I put them together to make a summary. So I just want to give you a summarized list of what you're going to see in the life of a God-fearer. God-fearers are people of truth. They are people who hate dishonest gain. They're not doing wrong to one another. They're keeping God's commands and walking in His ways. They're lives of love and service. God-fearers are clinging to God. God God-fearers are not rebelling against God. And there were some that were repeated over and over and over in that list. And those that were most commonly repeated were people who fear the Lord, follow him, keep his commands, listen to God's voice, serve him, cling to him. And the word truth just kept coming up. That's what fearing the Lord looks like in life. NEHEMIAH SAID THAT HE DID NOT LAY BURDENS ON THE PEOPLE. THIS IS NEHEMIAH CHAPTER 5 and VERSE 15. HE SAID HE DID NOT LAY BURDENS ON THE PEOPLE OR TAKE THEIR BREAD AND WINE AND MONEY AND HE DID NOT DOMINEER THE PEOPLE BECAUSE OF THE FEAR OF THE LORD. SO NEHEMIAH WAS ONE THAT WAS PAYING ATTENTION TO GOD AND IT WAS SHOWING UP IN HIS LIFE and these things that he was not willing to do that a lot of other rulers were doing. He says, I'm not going to lay burdens on the people. I'm not going to take their bread and wine. I'm not going to take their money. I'm not going to domineer over them because I fear the Lord. So that's a good list for us to understand. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12 says this. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you But to fear the Lord, your God, to walk in all his ways and love him and to serve the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding to you today for your good. And then he skips down in verse 20 of Deuteronomy chapter 10 and says, you shall fear the Lord, your God. You shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. He is your praise, and he is your God who has done these great and awesome things for you, which your eyes have seen. Standing in awe of him, responding to that awe by how we behave. So altogether, people who fear the Lord have this firm confidence. This true affection for him. This constant obedience. And so what is the fear of the Lord? It is the heart that hates evil, hates sin, and that stands in awe of God. By contrast, there are scriptures that describe those who do not fear the Lord. I'm gonna just read these to you. These are a little bit longer. The first one is in Proverbs chapter one. Proverbs chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 23. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 23 through 29. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you, because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand, and no one paid attention. And you, you neglected all my counsel. You did not want my reproof. I will even laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come on you, then you will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. There it is. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way. Their own way was never brought to be broken before the will of God, before God's way. Next one is in Psalm chapter 36. Psalm chapter 36. Beginning in verse 1, transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for it flatters him in his own eyes concerning the discovery of his iniquity and the hatred of it. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He plans wickedness on his bed. He sets himself on a path that is not good. He does not despise evil. What did it say in the beginning? There is no fear of God before his eyes. That's what it looks like when you don't fear God. One more, let me just go to Romans. Let's go to the New Testament for a second. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 and beginning in verse 10. As it is written, and what he's doing here in Romans, he's quoting some Old Testament scripture, but he's got it all together here. He says, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave with their tongues. They keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths and the path of peace. They have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So Scripture gives us the contrast of what it looks like for a person who does not fear God. Now, sadly, we see a lot of that, don't we? We even see uh, some of that in the lives of professing believers. So, why would I want to fear the Lord? What 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 are the promises? to those who fear the Lord. How does God respond to people who fear him? This is a long list. I'm going to read them. These are just scripture verses. But I want you to have a clear picture of what happens, of how God's going to respond when we truly fear him and walk in the fear of the Lord. 2 Kings chapter 17 and verse 39. But the Lord your God you shall fear. AND HE WILL DELIVER YOU FROM THE HAND OF ALL YOUR ENEMIES. PSALM 33, VERSE 18, BEHOLD, THE EYES OF THE LORD ARE ON THOSE WHO FEAR HIM. PSALM 34, VERSE 7, THE ANGEL OF THE LORD encamps AROUND THOSE WHO FEAR HIM AND RESCUES THEM. PSALM 34, VERSE 9, O oh, FEAR THE LORD, YOU HIS SAINTS, FOR THOSE WHO FEAR HIM, THERE IS NO WANT. PSALM 85 IN VERSE 9, SURELY HIS SALVATION IS NEAR TO THOSE WHO FEAR HIM, THAT GLORY MAY DWELL IN OUR LAND. PSALM 103, VERSE 11, FOR AS HIGH AS THE HEAVENS ARE ABOVE THE EARTH, SO GREAT IS HIS loving kindness TOWARD THOSE WHO FEAR HIM. PSALM 103, VERSE 13, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Psalm 103, verse 17. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Listen to this and his righteousness to children's children. It affects your grandchildren. That was Psalm 103, verse 17. Psalm 112 and verse one, how blessed is the one who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments, his descendants, your children and grandchildren will be mighty on earth. Psalm 128 verse one, I'm going to read this one. This one was longer. There are four verses to this one and I didn't write it all down, but Psalm um, 128. Beginning in verse one, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 27 says, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26 says, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have refuge. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. Proverbs chapter two, verse four. The rewards of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Let's switch to the New Testament briefly. Chapter one of the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter one and verse 50 says, his mercy, God's mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace. Being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. What does it do? It increases the church. What it does is free God's power up through his people. His power is freed up. Think back again to that racehorse and that rider. There was a day when that racehorse, though a thoroughbred, was probably out in the wild, out in the field, going his own way. So he was broken in spirit. They didn't break his legs, they didn't break his heart. They trained him, they molded him, so that now when that rider, that professional rider, gets on that horse, the horse knows what he wants. And they both want the same thing. But when that horse, that horse had power when he was out in the field, but once his power was focused, then he could win and run under the power, under the instruction of his rider. That's what happens to us. When we become under God's instruction, when we are obedient to what he says, then we are able to run, walk in the power of Almighty God. If you read through all of these promises and results of the fear of the Lord in the life of believers and all of the things that God will do for us for generation after generation for our children, for our grandchildren, for those to come, and for us. You can look at that list and say, well, yeah, I I, I want that. How do I get that? So how how do I get the fear of the Lord? Do you want the fear of the Lord? Do you want to live like that? Because it's going to change your life. There's going to be a a... A hating of sin, there's going to be, Ugh. it's going to, things are going to smart in your spirit that didn't used to smart in your spirit. Maybe you used to could read books that now you think, uh-uh, I don't want that in my heart. Maybe you used to could watch TV shows or a movie and now you think, ooh, it becomes repulsive to you. Those things are going to happen because as the Lord's Will and as the Lord's character begins to penetrate and take over in our lives, we're going to be more like Him, and we're going to hate sin. We're going to hate evil. We're not going to want to look at it, and so it's going to change. So, do you want it? Do you want to live like that? Now, if you do want it, how do you get? It? Number one, you confess your lack of fear of God. You tell God, I, I don't have this. I don't fear you like I should. Now understand that I believe that fearing the Lord all through life is a growing process. I hope I fear him more today than I feared him in days past. I hope I will fear him more in the future than I fear him today. So it's a growth process. It's a learning how to walk in that relationship with the Lord. And so the first thing I have to do is to confess my lack of the fear of the Lord. Even if I've got some, I want more. I want the full benefit of the fear of the Lord. We want revival in this land. We want him to be able to use us. We want the church to be strong. And this is where we start. Lord, we don't fear you the way we should. We don't stand in awe of you. And we don't hate sin. And we confess that to him. And what does it require for me to be able to go to God or go to other people and say, I don't fear the Lord the way I need to. It's gonna require brokenness and humility. A heart that is removing its own self-will, that's removing pride, that's removing human pride to bow before the Lord and say, I'm not here, I can't do this. So step one is I confess it. I agree with God about it. I ask God to show me my heart the way he sees it. And then I respond to him. So I confess my lack of it. And then number two, I ask God for it. Will you give it to me? Will you put the fear of God in my heart? And that is by choice of the will. It is not an emotion, but by choice of the will, I'm going to say to God, I want the fear of the Lord. I want that relationship with you. I want that unity. I want to respond when you nudge me. I want you to be able to use me. The third thing is Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verses 8 through 14. We're talking about how do you get the fear of the Lord. Psalm 34, beginning in verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man or the person who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him, to those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves lengths of days that he may see good? And so then he tells us where to start. If he's going to teach us, I love it that we can be taught the fear of the Lord. He says, I will teach it to you. Now here's where you start. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil And do good, seek peace, and pursue it. That's where you start. That's where we start learning. He said, I'm going to teach it to you, and here's where you start. You guard your tongue, and you guard the truth, and you stay away from evil and do good. That's how you learn it. fourth thing, so the first one is confess your lack of fear of God. The second one is to ask God for it. The third thing is Psalm 34 verses 8 through 14, and number four is you receive it by faith. We're going to receive it by faith. Now, even though we receive it by faith, there's that one-time decision where I get before the Lord and ask Him for it. Even though I receive it by faith, there's going to be a constant asking, a constant learning, a constant looking to Him. Um, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7 Um, we know the verse, it's ask and it shall be given, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. In the original language, in the Greek language, all of those verbs there are present continuous tense verbs. What does that mean? It means that what it's saying is, if you ask and keep on asking, it shall be given to you. If you seek and keep on seeking, you will find. If you knock and keep on knocking, it shall be opened unto you. So here in the fear of the Lord, even though we've asked for it one time, we're going to keep on asking. We're going to keep on seeking it. We're going to keep on knocking so that it will come to us over a long period of time. We will grow through the fear of the Lord until it grows us right on into heaven before his awesome presence. How will you know if you've got it? You will know if you've got it when you look at your own life and see how committed to truth you are and to look at your own life and say, am I walking in his ways? Or maybe you've got a buddy Christian that's doing this with you and you can look at each other and hold each other accountable and say to one another, "Um, am I committed to truth? Do you see me walking in his ways? Do you see me clinging to God? Do you see me listening to his voice? Do you see me obeying his voice? And you know if you've got it by how you react to sin. There comes a time when things that you used to not be bothered with at all, you can't do now. You can't watch that TV show anymore. You can't read that book. It aggravates your spirit. Sometimes even now I can be watching the news and it will aggravate my spirit. I turn it off. It's okay to do that. So we're going to be able to tell by what our lives look like, by what our practical righteousness looks like. If we have any of the fear of the Lord in us. We're going to fail. There are going to be times when we're going to mess up and we're going to choose our own will instead of God's will. There are going to be times when that tongue's going to and say the wrong thing with the wrong attitude at the wrong time. It's going to happen. What are we going to do, though? Because we are broken, because we already have brokenness established in our lives, we're going to bow before the Lord and say, right now, would you cleanse me of that sin? Wash me. And immediately we deal with known sin. And that way we keep in that fellowship with the Lord. We're constantly dealing with it. We're watching out for it. And so... We're going to see those things happening as we grow in the fear of the Lord. As I was preparing this lesson, the Lord brought to my mind a great old hymn. Um, We don't sing some of these old hymns much anymore. It was by a lady named Frances Ridley Havergal, and she wrote in the 1800s. You will probably know the hymn, those of you who are my age and have been churched for a long time. It's take my life and let it be. So I wrote down several verses of this hymn and I'm gonna read this as our closing prayer. Take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee, swift and beautiful for thee. Take my will and make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne it shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself, and I will be ever only all for thee, ever only all for thee. May the Lord bring us to that place so that he can unleash his power through us. Amen.